Hello, and welcome to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, a podcast sponsored by the Turo Center on Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Your TFC podcast hosts are me, Professor Gina Bardwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Uni. Across academic disciplines, Turo faculty are producing great work, and the Faculty Chronicles wants you to hear all about it. TFC podcasts will highlight faculty chatting about their favorite project in research, teaching, learning, science, medicine, technology, and so much more. So let's get busy building community, connection, and continuous conversation Turo-wide. Our next Faculty Chronicle guest is on deck waiting to chat. everybody and welcome to the Faculty Chronicles FTC and our guest today is Jorge Roig who will be speaking about the innovative and noteworthy work that he is doing at the Turo Law Center as Director of Neighborhood Programs. First I'm going to start out with reading Professor Roig's bio. So Mr. George Orr Roig is an Associate Professor of Law and Director of Neighborhood Programs at the Turo Law Center. Professor Roig's primary area of teaching and research are constitutional law, internet and technology law, intellectual property, including patents, trademarks, copyrights, trade secrets, and other related state law matters, and copyright law. Now, before becoming a professor, he also served as Assistant Secretary of Justice in charge of the Office of Legal Counsel and Legislative Liaison's Office and the Contracts and Law Number no. 9 Division of the Puerto Rico Department of Justice. He did his undergraduate studies at Harvard University, where he concentrated in economics with a focus in microeconomics, finance, game theory, derivative pricing, and ecometrics. Professor Roig then obtained his Juris Doctor from the University of California at Berkeley School of Law, where he also received a Boalt Hall Law and Technology Certificate for his coursework in copyrights and trademarks, cyber law, entertainment law, sports law, and art law. And his thesis, Speaking in Code, The Question of First Amendment Coverage of Computer Source Code. My goodness, Professor Roy, you are accomplished. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and it's great. Hello to everybody. So I want to talk to you a little bit about when you were a kid. We're going to start there. What were you interested in? I mean, were you interested in uh, social justice, injustices of the world? Did you tinker around? Were you into science? Talk to us a little bit about what, what it was like growing up. Well, you know, I've always been interested in, in somewhat disparate subjects at the same time. I've always been uh, fascinated by mathematics and science, but I've, I've also been very interested by, by art. And so, you know, as you were reading, particularly my concentration in law school, right, it kind of <laughs> made sense um, from the perspective of the combination of technology and how technology influences how people express themselves in society has definitely something that, that has always interested me. Um, I'm a little ashamed to say, on the other hand, that social justice is something that it took me a little bit of time to get into. 
Um, I, you know, I, I grew up in a somewhat privileged background in Puerto Rico, um, went to good schools, you know, had parents who had jobs and, and, and could provide for the family quite well. And so it, was, it wasn't until, I would say, my teenage years when I began interacting with, you know, other sectors of society that, that I became more aware of what of the problems that other people face. And particularly as I, as I studied economics in college, um, I became more aware of the economic inequalities in, in the world. Wow, it sounds like maybe, were you an observer as you were growing up as a kid? Did you, you know, it sounds like you had, you had a love of music, you had a love of, of, like you said, science and math, very eclectic, your background. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, what I've spent my, you know, my waking hours on is finding connections between those things, right? And so, for example, music and math are extremely connected. Um, and, and, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated by those topics. In terms of being an observer, I think that is a very uh, accurate statement. Uh, I, I styled myself a shy person. Uh, mm -hmm. at least for during my youth. And I, I was the person that tended to just sit back and, and observe and, and think before I said anything. Well, that, that would be something that a lot of people should probably do and start that at a young age. Just take it in, watch, watch what you're saying as opposed to jumping in feet first and making rash decisions. Again, I think it's really great that you, that you have worked on seeing how all of those connections work together because they are disparate and they are very different and yet you know in the world you know music science technology all of those things do help to express ourselves so what inspired you or who inspired you to go into law to become a lawyer my 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 answer is a little bit surprising i nothing did <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great that's great um i actually ended up in law school a little bit as a default move because i didn't know what to do with my life <laughs> um now having said that i picked the law school right because of my interest in technology and art and and so berkeley was and still is at least uh you know one of the top schools in those areas of intellectual property and technology law. So I had something of a path, but, um, but yeah, when I graduated from college, I applied to economics graduate school. I applied to creative writing school. I applied to film school and I applied to law school. <laughs> well, and all of those areas that you're interested in are so transferable in any of those areas. So yeah. Wow. So I think one, you know, one trend that you can pick up in all of those things is writing yes. and, and communication, right? Absolutely. And I think that is what has really been the central thread in my career at the end of the day. And all of the, and, and everything that you've talked about, writing uh, supports that. Communication supports those ideas. Exactly. So back in October of, of this year, you served on a panel that discuss voting rights and restrictions. Now, how do you get the young people that you work with, how do you get them uh, motivated about the importance of, vo of voting rights? How do, you, how do you get them motivated and how do you keep them there, maintain that interest? You know, it's, it's difficult, but I would say that 
I think we we go through stages, right? And and to the extent that in Brentwood we're working with with children who are at the high school mid high school level, really tenth, eleventh grade or so. Um, they they are very enthusiastic about getting involved. You know, at that age, I think we're still very open-eyed and, and innocent and enthusiastic about how the system is supposed to work. And we believe that it does work, right? And so getting those kids to, those young men and women really, to, to engage is a little bit easier, I think, than it gets when you get into college and and their 20s and you begin to get more cynical about how your vote doesn't have the power that it should or that you've been told it does. And so I think it gets a lot harder when, when you're dealing with law school students, for example, to convince them that, you know, instead of going to the court, you should mobilize on the streets. And uh, it's harder, right? It takes more coordination and more effort to mobilize a political movement than to file a lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, they're, the, the kids are still open and still a little curious and haven't made up their minds. And you're right, they're not jaded yet, right? Right. So and I mean, there, there's a line from uh, the West Wing, you know, 20 years ago, in which uh, President Bartlett says, decisions are made by those who show up. And, yeah. and that is a sentiment that I, I encourage everybody that, that works with these uh, Brentwood and, and high school uh, students in general to to convey, you know, if you don't vote, you don't get a say. And so getting involved in political activities is the way that, that you can make a difference. Right. Making those connections early and, and, and seeing, how, seeing how serious they are and seeing how they can really impact your community. Is, that's important. So you, you've been a director of the neighborhood programs and initiatives at the Turo Law Center since 2018. And in 2019, uh, you and your team at the Law Center, you were awarded a $15,000 grant from the New York State with the help of uh, Senator Monica R. Martinez. It, in reading about this program, it was uh, just so phenomenally interesting and innovative. I want to know, what was the mission of the grant overall, in general? Yeah. So first off, let me uh, acknowledge uh, Senator Martinez and, and, and thank her here for uh, for her help. Um, the, you know, the general purpose is basically to give the, these children more uh, opportunities for things to do, right, particularly after school. Um, so that, you know, there's a well-documented gang situation in, in the Brentwood area. And so one of the main uh, drivers of gang activity tends to be, right, uh, children don't, not having uh, constructive things to be engaged in and, and not being able to protect themselves from, from some of these gang leaders and sort of have the self-esteem to, to stand up for themselves to some extent, right? Of course, it's a very dangerous situation they're dealing with, but giving them, you know, first of all, just the time and space to be in an, in an environment in which they're doing something constructive um, takes them away from other activities, but also we teach them how to argue, right? We teach them how to analyze problems and solve them. And I think that is extremely empowering um, for, for these children and young men and women. And it, it, it 
um, it builds their self-esteem, right? We teach them to stand up before a judge and give an argument in front of a, uh, a crowd full of people with jury and uh, audience and whatnot, and, and, and they flourish incredibly. Yeah, I, I, was, I was wondering, there are two really specific programs that the grant uh, supports. What, what are they? Could you, could you talk about them a little bit? Sure thing. So um, th these things, of course, are all interrelated and overlap to some extent, right? But we've kind of uh, set them into three silos, if you will. The first one is the street law program. Right. And the street law program is something that has been around for a long time. It, it came out of the Georgetown Law School back in the 70s. And basically, it's an approach to teaching that emphasizes interaction between the students and the teacher, and also particularly between the students and each other, right? Um, it emphasizes movement. So we want kids to get out of their chair and move around the room because at that age, you know, they can hardly control their physical energy. Um, it emphasizes making arguments and, and responding to arguments uh, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, and of course, in terms of subject matter, it's focused on, on topics of the law that, that are everyday kind of topics that any human being really will encounter, right, at one or another point in their life. So things like landlord-tenant relationships or um, starting your own business, um, immigration issues, uh, uh, Fourth Amendment, right, search and seizures, how to interact with police officers, et cetera. And so we cover topics that we feel these kids will be able to use in their daily lives. So that's the street law program. And oh, and the other component for the law school, right, is that the law students are the ones doing the teaching. And so we train them uh, over, you know, the first four or five weeks of the semester in the street law method of teaching, and then they go out and do the teaching. And so the law students are also developing those communication skills that are going to serve them in talking to their clients, you know, talking to judges, uh, negotiating with other parties, et cetera. And the, and the law school students, when they come back from this, you know, full-blown experience, what do they tell you that, that they've learned? What do they say that, that they walk away with? So many things. Yeah. Um, yes, they, I mean, I've only taught the course twice so far. Um, the pandemic intervened and, and so we've had to, to postpone it for the time being. But, um, well, the first thing that they, that, you know, they immediately pick up on is how hard teaching is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they really, that's immediately one of the first reactions. You know, I didn't know you had to prepare so much to teach a, a course. Um, now that, of course, that in itself, I think, is a great lesson, right, in terms of preparation. And so it's something that also comes up when I'm, when I'm working with them in moot court, for example, which I do relatively often. I tell them, if you're prepared, you don't need a piece of paper in front of you. You, you know, you're having a conversation with whoever you are teaching or, or arguing before because you know this. Right. Once you've prepared yourself, you've known every in and out, you know, every possible question that's going to come your way. And so that gives you a, a huge amount of, of, of security when you stand in front of the class. Um, 
what else do they learn? What, another thing that I think impresses everybody is the quality of the Brentwood High School um, in, in every sense. Um, the quality of the teachers, the commitment of the teachers, the, the quality of the students and the, and the involvement of the students, right? How, um, another thing that really surprises them is how much they participate and how much they, they raise their hands and, and, and not even raise their hands and just start talking, right? High school students are much more engaged in class than law school students are in their classes. So that's also surprising to them. Well, yeah, those are, you know, those are good lessons to learn, particularly, mm -hmm. you know, the organization and all that goes into teaching. And then when the light bulb goes off on the students' faces yeah. and they show, aha, I, I get it. There, there's something very, very valuable about that. So now, I, I mean, and I would, I, I think I need to mention that the report that they develop with the children is also, you know, it's really the most satisfying part of it because you see that, that some of these relationships might develop into mentoring long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just fantastic. Yeah, it's the student that comes back and, you know, 15 years later taps on your shoulder and goes, you know, I remember when you came to my school and I learned blah, blah, blah. And it's just so gratifying. It really right. is. Talk a little bit more about why that particular area. What, a, what, a, what about the Brentwood community and neighborhood? That, why did you start there? Right. Well, to be honest, it's really, they're our neighbors, right? Um, and, and the emphasis, which was brought by, by the former dean, who is who, the one who created the position, Dean Harry Bell, and, and, and appointed me to it, um, was very much a neighborly feeling. He loved that word neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea that we have an obligation towards each other when we, when we are neighbors and, and live in the same community. And, and part of the emphasis also was about, you know, law schools tend to have a lot of these programs in which they bring people from the community into the law school. And we wanted to do the opposite. We wanted to take the law school to the community mm -hmm. and, and try to engage in their terms. Obviously there's all kinds of pitfalls in that, but, but that's where we're trying to come from. And so, Brentwood was the first step. Um, we would love to expand the program as, it, as, it, as we go along, right? But the closest neighbor was, was the one we were first going to, to approach. Now there's other things in Brentwood, of course, that, 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 are, um, uh, that make it an appropriate place to start, which is, you know, there's a very large immigrant community that is developing a lot of new businesses, for example, for which they might actually need help, right? Uh, legal help. And they might very, very much, um, you know, when you leverage this little bit of help to develop a new business, you can get a lot of good stuff out of it, right? Um, what else? The gang situation I mentioned, of course, and the idea that, that the youth in Brentwood is particularly uh, thirsty for, for opportunities and growth, right, is, is another thing. And also, there is a similarity between our student body and the Brentwood neighborhood. I, um, another of the programs that we're doing in the school is uh, going to the public libraries. And, uh, and establishing you know, a desk there where people can come and ask questions about different topics and we work with, with other organizations 
in the community to do so. And, and during one of those meetings at the library, I remember hearing the director of the library say that people in their community, they serve a community that speaks, uh, I think it was like 50 different languages. Wow. And so, yeah, and, and, and our student body is very diverse in that same sense. And so, you know, having the kids work with people that look and talk and feel like them, I think is also, and that have made it to law school, right, and have now a career path. Um, it's very encouraging for those children too. Oh, I think so. I mean, the students are learning street law, how to sort of stand up for themselves, what to look for when something happens, how to act, how to be. And, I, and I'm just simplifying it because I know it's so much more. And you're, you're also teaching them, mock, they're doing mock trials, is that right? Right, so that's the other like sort of second big chunk of this, right? Uh, the mock trial, pro so the street law program is curricular. It's both for credit in our law school for the law students and they, and they have incorporated it as part of an elective course in criminal procedure that they have in the wow. high school. Now, you think elective, you think, well, maybe 20 students take it, but as it turns out, they have six sections of wow. that elective. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we ended up dealing with, you know, more than 100 students. Yeah, but I can see that. Well, you describe the neighborhood and, 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 its, and its complexities and its needs and, and also the diversity street law i mean it, it, it's it's a wonderful marriage you know it's yeah. a really it's a, it, it fits it's a good it's a very good fit yeah and so going back to the mock trial the mock trial is an after school um extracurricular activity for them and and of course it's a little bit more intense right they they actually meet every week at least once a week sometimes more um and they prepare for the new york state competition wow um, yeah. Wow. I, you know, I, when I heard about this program at the very beginning, at the onset, I said, we're doing that. We're, we're, we're literally going into, into schools and neighborhoods and, and teaching students, giving them debate skills and, and having them understand how the law works. You know, if, you know, if we started, the, you know, if this was something that was done all over. I mean, I know this was started in the seventies, but this could really be a, a, a program that would be helpful in, in so many under-resourced com communities. You know, I mean, not Brentwood one, I'm so glad that Turo's on top of it. So it was great to hear. And this is why I wanted our listening audience to, to, to know about the program. It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to hear you talk about it. It's fascinating. Yeah. But I have more questions. I'm not done. something that that's really necessary in Suffolk County, particularly, you yeah. know, because in the city, there's plenty of law schools and, and even in, in Nassau, the proximity helps. But in Suffolk, it's really necessary. Right. And when you when you think about the skills the students are learning and what employers want to, these days, it's 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 such a it's such a, a good you know, le you know, learning experience for them to, and, it, and it's what employers want. They want you to be able to communicate, to be able to stand up and do presentations, right? Exactly. So, I mean, and, and it covers all of that. So, uh, do you have a goal? Have you, have you, I mean, I don't know if you've gotten that far. Have you thought about what the program could do uh, to reduce gang activity or anything like that? 
So I would say that we're, you know, of course the pandemic has thrown a, oh, a, yeah. a huge a monkey wrench into everything in the sense that, you know, the, the track that we had for developing this, particularly the street law part of the program, it's, it's sort of in a wait and see mode right now. Mm -hmm. And, but I think what we were working towards was trying to develop some kind of assessment tools in which we can measure, you know, what progress we've had. Um, and, and so we're, that's, that's sort of the next step in the development of the program, really. And oh, then one, once we get that in place, I think we can think about starting to expand. Right. How, how far do you get uh, into the waters of criminal, the criminal justice system with, with students? Um, I would say it's one of the areas that we delve a little bit deeper in uh, because, you know, you can go through the different stages of the process, right? Uh, we, of course, talk a little bit about, in general, sort of how law is made, the different components of the system and how they interact, um, how do the courts work, right? And what's a state court versus a federal court and how do they interact? Then you move also to another stage, which is sort of the pre-arrest stage of the criminal system, right? How do you interact with the police um, in a situation in which there may or may not have been a crime committed, right? right. And then you go to the trial stage, right? And, and even in some circumstances, you might talk about post-judgment, you know, things like executive clemency or um, the death penalty and, and, and all those topics. So yeah, we, we get a little bit in depth. Um, in the mock trial, of course, we get a lot more in depth. Uh, now that will depend. Sometimes they pick a criminal uh, case, sometimes they pick a civil case. But those students really get into the nitty gritty of the rules of evidence and you know on how to cross-examine and all that stuff. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, and it, it goes back to what I mentioned a little earlier. It really helps them to think about how to take care of themselves in situations when they, maybe when they are confronted by, uh, you know, a police person or someone, you know, in law enforcement and, and, and really how you can navigate those waters a lot easier or, or much more smoothly if you have some skills. Exactly. So, and you know what to say and what to do. Exactly. And, and even more generally, how to deal with, with situations in which uh, of power, right? Of differentials in power. Yes. Oh, yeah. Dif yeah, differentials in power. Great way to put that. So, you know, we're, I'm going to ask you this final question, and I want to know, what, what, what is your hope for the future uh, of this program? What do you hope that it's going to, you know, reveal to you and in the future? What, if, you, if you had everything, you know, to work with pie in the sky, what would you like it to, to be? So, so expansion, of course, is, is one thing that we're driving towards, right? Uh, having, a, and, and to some extent, you know, the mock trial program, we also have the, um, the trial advocacy society in the school. Those students are working with other uh, uh, high schools in, in mock trial programs, too. Um, and so we've already sort of begun to expand the mock trial uh, component of it. The street law component is, is the one that we're going to have to work on once the pandemic is gone. But I think another sort of long-term goal that I see is developing mentoring relationships, right? Developing long-term relationships between law students and the, and the high school students. And, and in that way, kind of creating a pipeline um, that maintains some kind of contact with these students. 
that's a little sensitive, of course, because of the privacy concerns of the, of the high school students, et cetera, and you have to bring the parents into it and you need buy-in from the parents. And so I think that's something that will come slowly as parents begin to you know, hear their kids talking about mock trial and what they did today in the street law class and whatnot. But that's, that's the goal. Well, it's true because you talk about mentoring and if they get mentoring in high school and it's good, by the time they get to college and there's mentoring, you see it, it, it it's, more of a, it's more of a natural thing and they, they, they understand that it's for good and it's not a bunch of people that are prying into who you are and where you're going and, and, you know, and asking questions that feel uncomfortable. They'll be comfortable with it because it started exactly. at high school, right? Yeah. Well, I must say thank you so much Counselor Jorge Roig um, for, for being a guest on the Faculty Chronicles and filling us in on your mock trial program and the Know Your Rights event at Brentwood. And it was a, a pleasure to highlight your work today and all your work at the Tula Law Center. And I hope you're gonna come back after the pandemic passes. And we do hope you come back and give us an update and tell us what you're up to because this is, um, this is great. This is great work you're doing. And I would love to, and I, I thank you so much for having me. It's, it's great to share this with you guys, and I'm, I'm happy to come back anytime. Wonderful. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, Turo's podcast featuring the projects and work of faculty throughout the Turo College and University system. TFC is sponsored by the Office of the Provost and Kettle, the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. We hope you like what you heard and we'll keep listening. So join us next time on the Faculty Chronicles as we highlight and share faculty achievements that build community, connection, and continuous conversation. <laughs>